This is an ABC podcast. Hey ladies, this is the last episode of Ladies We Need to Talk for Season 5. And every time we come up to this point of winding up where we, you know, find ourselves lowering the blinds on Ladies HQ, unplugging the mics, turning off the lights and locking the door as we leave... I always think, oh, will we ever come back here? Because surely there isn't anything left anymore that we need to talk about. Haven't we already covered every taboo? Well, switch the lights back on because we're coming back in. There is something we need to talk about. And it's something that's good. It's like a lovely plate upon which sits a fat triangle of chocolate cake with white cream oozing out the side and a shiny red strawberry on top. It's awesome, right? So we want it. We should have it. We deserve it. But it's so icky to ask for that we can barely say the word. The word for that thing that we want is pleasure. I don't know why, but I think sometimes there's like a mental block, whether it's guilt or shame or feeling like it's okay to enjoy myself. I always feel like I have to kind of get to the finish line. The thing that gets in the way of my sexual pleasure is the fact that I often think that my partner might feel that I have a poo inside me. I remember my grandfather saying that God had a sense of humour because he put the fun park next to the sewage. At the end of the day, I literally just want some personal space and I just want to just be on my own and not have anyone near me or touch me. Foreplay, not just in the bedroom, but leading up to that, if there was more of that available, the little kisses, the little touches, so that it's not just, okay, I only want you when I want to have sex, because that turns me off. (laughs) A lot of women are really unhappy with their sex lives. This malaise is backed up by research. A team from Monash University spoke to young women between the ages of 18 and 39 about their sex lives, and more than half, yep, Half said they're dissatisfied in some way. Another study from Chapman University in the US of more than 50,000 people found that while straight men orgasm 95% of the time during sex, straight women only orgasmed 65% of the time. So how is it that in a world where sex is more acceptable and more available than ever before, we've found ourselves here in a situation where, yeah, sex is spread-eagled in our faces, but the pleasure that is meant to accompany it is boxed up, dead quiet, elusive and shameful. I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, we need to talk about sexual pleasure. Women are taught about their bodies, but not about how their body should feel. This is Catherine Rowland. She's the star of today's episode, an author and an expert on female sexual satisfaction. For her book, The Pleasure Gap, she spoke to more than 120 women about their sex lives and what gets in the way of their desire. She found there were some things that came up again and again. So many women expressed that they had never been given the opportunity to examine what it is they actually wanted and what it was they actually enjoyed. 
so many women came out and said, I'm not having a great time with the sex that I'm having in whatever form it's taking, in part because I've never sat down to think about what should sex look like, in part because it's always been kind of scary, terrifying, taboo, or just completely unheard of for me to question, well, what do I desire? Why is it so difficult for us to get a handle on our own desire? I think that we have long separated sex from pleasure in a lot of our conversations, and we are comfortable in talking about sex in terms of reproduction or in terms of pathology. And then when we talk about pleasure, that's relegated to something of a corner. And we like to take it out of our relationships, out of our families, certainly out of our educational systems. And we're not given a lot of tools to reckon with, well, what does pleasure look like, feel like, and how should we incorporate it in healthy, dynamic, creative, and personal ways into our own lives? Why is there such a gap between the measure of pleasure experienced by women and pleasure experienced by men? Well, in so many scientific domains, we've always thought about men as the baseline and women were often viewed as a faulty variation on the male standard. And women's bodies don't respond the same as men. Simply looking at, did you have an orgasm during sex results in a number of oversimplifications. I think researchers have historically tended to focus on a very sort of vanilla, heteronormative interpretation of sex as just a simple penetrative act and exclude the myriad other ways in which bodies come together or individuals enjoy themselves. As a woman with children, um, my peer group often sort of says things like they couldn't imagine anything worse than having to have sex with their husband, who they love um, and they have good relationships with. But that idea that um, it's dead, like dead flesh, it's got gangrene, you could cut it with a knife and not even feel it, you know. Sex and long-term relationships. With the women who were married that you spoke to, how did they rate their pleasure? So many married women shared similar feelings of just total enervation that they loved their husbands. They were perfectly pleasant company. They valued the times that they had shared together. But the last thing they wanted to do at the end of the day was try and make love. <laughs> I mean, there was one study I quoted and it just gutted me, but it talked about how women would literally rather fold the laundry than face (laughs) the prospect of another night in bed. Let's talk about the impact of the domestic load on a woman's horniness. You mentioned folding the laundry. So in heterosexual relationships, women still bear the brunt of child rearing and housework. So is that part of it as well, that you're you're just busy? You know, women are doing it all right now, and especially in the context of the pandemic. I think it's completely unsurprising that you see relationships collapsing at such a high rate right now. So women are, they're working, they're working from home, they're raising the children, they're making all of the little domestic decisions. They're not getting help for any of that. So it's the mental load, which we definitely know about here at Ladies We Need to Talk. But have we discussed how physical intimacy with a partner can be just another thing added to our burden? 
that obviously seeds all kinds of resentment and it encourages exhaustion. But I think that a more, I guess, sinister part of it is that then that sexual performance just becomes incorporated into the domestic load. It becomes another chore. We put a call out to you asking, what are the obstacles between you and feeling good or you and pleasure? And Catherine Rowland is right. All of those tedious domestic duties are high on the list. I feel like what gets in the way of my pleasure would be feeling needed all day um, in some way or another. And then I finally get the kids to bed, have a shower, get comfortable, get into bed and look forward to some time with myself and I'm needed again. So sometimes I feel that I just don't get any space for myself and that the time that we have available to have sex is the time I really just want to read a book or chill out. Probably like most mums, busyness being too much going on with work and kids and all the rest, too tired, can't be bothered. What gets in the way of me getting pleasure? A few things, a lot of stress in my life, family, work, kids, kids with needs, knowing I have things to do, knowing I probably would rather sleep. Look, when it's a contest between sleep and folding the laundry, maybe the thing that we're avoiding isn't pleasure. It's sex without pleasure. In her research, Catherine Rowland found that many of us don't feel entitled to pleasure. What we see all around us on our screens, on Instagram, in magazines, is a version of sexually confident women who perform sex and sexiness in a way that is not actually physically pleasurable for most women in real life. I think there's a real mismatch in the conversation right now between images of sexual empowerment and our very hypersexualized social messaging and the actual experience of particularly younger women. How does this disconnect show up? Speaking with women, but particularly younger women, the theme of faking it was just universal. Every woman said that they faked it, not necessarily all the time, but had and often regularly. Yes, you heard that right. Of the 120 women Catherine spoke to for her book, every single one of them said they'd faked it at some point. I think that should just break our hearts that rather than experiencing delight and pleasurable sensations, women are crying out, sort of intoning this fantasy of what pleasure should look and sound like. I think it leads to this emphasis on sex as a performance, something that's done for the delight of their partners or the perceived delight of their partners. Well, it is heartbreaking, isn't it, that we kind of shrug it off or laugh it off as though it's something funny. And the more often it occurs, I think it just reinscribes the idea that it's men's pleasure and enjoyment that takes priority in a sexual context. And that becomes reinforced for both partners, that the male is the deserving one. And that in particular can be very hard to shake. This sense of male entitlement to pleasure versus female 
entitlement to pleasure. They're very uneven. They're deeply uneven. Do the women that you have interviewed, do they recognise that inequality? For a lot of women, that inequality wasn't recognised as such. It was sort of built into the inequitable dynamics of the relationship that they failed to recognize beyond the gnawing sense of their own discontent. It's such a big lift for women to say, hey, no, I don't want our sex to be conducted under these terms anymore. Mm. And to go even beyond that and say, all right, what would it actually look like to privilege my body, my pleasure, my boundaries, as opposed to simply showcasing my performance for your the benefit of either your ego or your <laughs> orgasm. Oh my god, it's so true. It makes me want to scream because I can just picture <laughs> that I can picture this couple, they're heterosexual and his orgasm is always, you know, it's always around the corner. Hers is trickier. It's harder work. Her body is unreliable, you know, and there's sort of these narratives that we have around, you know, why a woman might have less pleasure, but it's mostly passing the buck. Women and men alike embrace this false idea that women's bodies are somehow harder to operate, that the buttons are more difficult to locate. You really need this kind of alchemical balance of the perfect arrangement of the moon and stars and the sun and the planets to, <laughs> in order for women to achieve um, their pleasure. When what we know is when women spend time actually learning their bodies and their partners spend time focusing on a woman's body, that changes significantly. The fact that when you start incorporating different sexual acts and taking your time and talking with women about what it is they actually want, those statistics that we all slog around around the orgasm gap all but disappear. Yeah, even you with your, quote, imperfect body deserve to learn what makes it feel good. And even you, imperfect, wonderful you, do deserve the focus and attention of your partner. They say that comparison is the thief of joy. And they're right. But a lot of us can't help but compare ourselves to porn actors. For younger people, we really see that porn is pretty damaging in terms of how young people think sex is supposed to go down and, and what it should look like and sort of what consent looks like. But for a number of older women in particular who I spoke to, porn also played an important part of their own getting off in their own sexual explorations and also their own discovery of what it was they were actually after. That said, I also spoke with plenty of older women who were really troubled by their male partners' porn consumption. I think there's a certain sense that we need to look like that and perform like that. And if we're not, you know, with the perky boobs and the perfectly hairless um, genitals, then we're not doing it right. I mean, so many images of women's sexuality, whether directly in porn or just in the movies and the magazines, um, hold us hostage to these horribly unrealistic standards of um, what a woman's body should look like and what it should do and how it should service those around her. I would say Instagram is, is often as bad as, as pornography on that front. This idea that our bodies have to look a certain way to be entitled to pleasure, that resonated with you too. 
Every time I think I am close to experiencing pleasure sexually with my partner, my brain gets in the way and I become self-conscious about everything about me, about what my skin looks like, about what my holes look like, about everything, um, what my sex face looks like, basically. Yeah, it's not much fun. Definitely what gets in between my pleasure is self-doubt of my body, how hot it is or how unattractive it is to the person. I definitely think about my vagina, uh, the colour of my vagina, my stomach because I've had two babies and I've got like a overhang, my saggy boobs and pretty much just a general all over that my body is not hot enough. My own self, my lack of self-confidence and self-esteem and feelings of being judged, even though I'm in a highly loving and supportive relationship, which a lot of people are quite envious of. And I do feel very secure, but it's just my own head, head fucking myself, you could say. A massive obstacle between a woman and her pleasure is, unfortunately, as big, as scary and as sad-making as the boogeyman of memory that many of us can't escape. And a content warning, we're going to talk about sexual violence, not specific incidents, but its effects. When I set out to write this book, I thought I was going to be in kind of an a more ecstatic journey and I didn't fully appreciate the trauma was this dark underside of so much of women's pleasure. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, at least a staggering one in five Australian women has experienced sexual violence since the age of 15. Things in the United States are just as grim. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention puts the rate of rape or attempted rape of American women at one in five as well. This experience of trauma came up again and again with the women Catherine spoke to for her book. Trauma was almost ubiquitous, either something that was directly experienced or just in this cruel cultural miasma that everyone was just sloshing through. It just ricocheted throughout their lives in lasting and so often unexpected ways. Women often reported just a generalized numbing of feeling so disconnected from their bodies and oftentimes not even linking that to their experience of trauma until later on in life. A person doesn't have to have survived rape to want to carry a weapon in her hand while she walks to her car at night. But to experience pleasure, you have to generally experience vulnerability which means setting down that weapon. And for a lot of people, that's a really big ask. These experiences of trauma, this sense of violation and just pervasive discomfort impacts so many women's sexuality, even for women who did not experience this directly, just living in such a often broadly traumatised and traumatising society also impacted their sexuality in terms of feeling like they weren't safe, feeling like they're somehow chattel and feeling like the messages that they encounter all around them convey that women's bodies are disposable and haveable and viable. So we've learnt about some of the roadblocks on our path to pleasure. Imagine we've kicked those roadblocks aside and now we're striding towards what is rightfully ours. 
which I realise is easier said than done, but imagine it anyway, okay? Kick it away. Kick, kick, kick. What's next? Catherine has some advice and no surprises. It starts with education. Women are taught about their bodies, but not about how their body should feel. And we're taught consent increasingly, but that is a conversation that tends to be structured around learning to say no, as opposed to learning to say yes. Our current conversations around consent continue to privilege male appetite and female gatekeeping. So the men... The man, right, makes an overture and then the woman is left to say yes or no. Instead of affirmative consent, I really, I would love to see affirmative desire as a standard in sex ed. Sex education that teaches young women that sex can be on their terms and that they're allowed to expect and ask for pleasure. Oh my God, yes, please. But let's back up a bit. What about when we're asked, or we're asking ourselves, what do you like? What makes you feel good? What unlocks the pleasure sensations in you? In a concerted way, get to know yourself. I know there's so many women who feel somewhat trepidatious about touching themselves, about looking at themselves, and if they do look at themselves, it's with this heavy burden of misplaced shame and confusion over the inherent beauty of their bodies. So taking time to just understand, well, what does, what does my body feel like? Where does it feel good? And guess what? It's never too late. Catherine interviewed a woman in her 70s who learned how to orgasm for the first time. If you haven't mapped to the far reaches of what gives you pleasure, it could and possibly should be a lifelong exploration because our bodies change over time. So what felt good at 15 might feel ridiculous at 50. Catherine also advises to, where possible, ditch the battery-operated gadgets. It's better to use your hands. There are all these wonderful toys and tools that really can enhance sexual experiences, but they can also contribute to a certain disconnect that women have around their bodies. And, okay, strap yourself in because this is big. If you're in a couple, here is another radical idea. Make it about you. I talked to this one couple who shared this really fabulous story that I would love to see played out in homes across the world. They had a perfectly nice relationship. They had a perfectly adequate sex life. And one night, just sort of as an experiment, the woman told the man, I don't want you to have an orgasm tonight. I want this to be just about me. And they had a really fine time that night. And then they repeated it again a few nights later. And then again, a few nights later, they came to call it the experiment. And they engaged in it for an entire year. And it completely transformed their relationship with one another and their understanding of just the mechanics of their intimacy. But the most beautiful part of that is I was speaking to both the man and the woman as they were relaying this story. And the woman at the end of sharing this looks up and looks to her partner and says, thank you. And he says, no, no, do not thank me. Like this was my honor. Like I had no idea sex could be so much more. 
I just got goosebumps all over my body just then. It was a gorgeous interaction. That's amazing. And it's hot as well. So is the crux of that about women needing pleasure entitlement, needing to have a sense of entitlement over their pleasure? I think a sense of entitlement and a sense that, hey, I can occupy the main frame here. And what does it look like to not, you know, chase a male orgasm, not have this very linear progression of like foreplay, penetration, he climaxes and she either sort of fakes it or get some leftovers. And and that kind of reframing is available to any couple. Any man can instigate that to say, even just for a night, like, hey, tonight we're going to do something else. Ah, more reasons, if I dare say so, to encourage the men in your life to listen to this podcast. And if you want to get more pleasure in your life, then remember... Yes, you're entitled to it. Start by figuring out what feels good for you and you are allowed to have a little quiet wank session if you want, with or without optional wedges of chocolate cake. Communicate what you want, prioritise your needs and if your idea of ecstasy is lying in bed doing a nothing, that is also totally hot. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Turrbal, Yugambeh, Gurungurra and Gadigal peoples. Ladies We Need to Talk is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Tamar Cranswick. Supervising producer is Alex Lolbach and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. Ladies, as I mentioned, this is the last Ladies We Need to Talk episode for the season. And I know I will miss you too. But the good news is that we will be back in 2022. Meantime, please go back and listen to all the eps that you've missed. And don't forget that the best way a podcast gets shared is by word of mouth, not expensive billboards, not ads in the national newspapers. So tell a friend that she really needs to hear this particular podcast and send it to her. The work we do here wouldn't be possible without the brave women who share their deepest, sometimes darkest and most personal pain with us. So I really want to sincerely say thank you to every person who has talked to us for the podcast. Thank you to Elodie Pullen for sharing her grief. I sit at home and I just sometimes honestly think I just won't, I won't even be surprised if he just walks in the door. Like, I don't know when that's going to wear off. Claire Bowditch and Jamila Rizvi for letting us be the third person in their gigantic bear hug right when we needed it the most. That was the day I realised that not every family saves their children. No, it's disgusting. Thank you to Samantha for sharing how hard it is to desperately want your own children and what she has endured to try to make that happen. I feel like this is my last shot. Whether I went with IVF or surrogacy, it really doesn't matter. It's the last hurrah. And to Shannon for shaving her head in the name of cancer research and also in the name of smashing gender beauty standards. I'm so happy I did it and I feel, I guess I actually feel a little bit more confident that I've done it. Thanks also to the hilarious old birds at the Country Women's Association for telling about the glory and gore of getting older. I watch all the sexy movies on Netflix. (laughs) Good on you, I love you. And I'll, I'll be 90 this year. And big cheers to Raylene for being the first person ever to say shart on Ladies We Need to Talk.
I mean, it's not going to hold everything in, but if there's a bit of a, what do you call it, a shout, it's going to save your knickers and it's going to save embarrassment. It was inevitable, but she was the first. And thanks, of course, to you for listening, for emailing and phoning with feedback. We really love hearing from you. So, ladies, we need you to tell us what you want to hear on the next season of Ladies We Need to Talk. Send us an email, ladies at abc.net.au or leave a voicemail on 1300 641 222 and don't forget to leave your name and your number so we can call you back for a chat if you want us to. I'm Yumi Steins. I'll see you soon. Thank you.